بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله الحمد لله حمدا كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه مباركا عليه كما يحب ربنا ويرضى جل جلاله وعم نواله والصلاة والسلام على سيد الحبيب المصطفى صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد Beautiful venue, the only problem is that it feels like it's a wedding uh, Aside from that, mashallah, it's wonderful And uh, no weddings planned, right? No weddings planned? Okay So we are, this is a university program For London School of Economics is that right? Yeah, I saw LSE versus something. Uh, there's another university mentioned there. I'm not sure if that one's a better one or uh, LSE or... Huh? This one? No, LSE is better. It's better? Okay, if you say so, it makes no difference to me. Um, to be honest, the reason I mentioned that is really what makes anything better is eventually what, what that university is going to be able to produce and what will come out of it. And that means what you guys are going to be doing in 10 years to 20 years. That's really going to determine which was a better place. Right? Today we can say whatever we want, but at the end of the day we want to see where we're going to be in 20 to 30 years and how we're going to shape this country. Because this is where we live, this is our home. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّمَا يَتَقَبَّلُ اللَّهُ مِنَ الْمُتَّقِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts from those who are God conscious. Who are God conscious. Now, what we want to understand here is that I just want to, um, mashallah, the Muslim country, uh, the Muslim community in this country, uh, they're about 60 to 70 years old. That means that uh, while we've had Muslims coming to the shores of the UK for a very, very long time, uh, from the early 1900s, maybe even the 1800s, but in terms of en masse, people started coming here right at the end of the 1950s but more so 1960s and onwards. That's when people came from the villages of Bangladesh, of India, of Pakistan, and then that was followed, you know, maybe a decade later, Algerians, Somalians, and, uh, and then onwards. And huge amounts of community have come through, and we, we're around 60 to 70 years old. Many, many Muslims are, mashallah, very well established, and now we're no longer on the defensive, we're no longer in survival mode, or at least we should not be. We should now be in development mode. That's very, very important to understand. We have to be in develop mode, development mode, at least the new generation. You've got a degree from a UK university, right? That makes you, you know, as British and as UK. And alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, I've traveled to, you know, over 50 countries in the world. The one thing about UK Muslims, we don't feel like we're guests here. We literally feel British and we feel like this is where we are. We don't even have to justify it. I've seen people in America and Canada say, oh, this country gave us so much, right? Uh, this is our country. It, it has to give us so much. I mean, this is what we are. We are, uh, we are, alhamdulillah, we don't have the problem that a lot of French Muslims face, which is that they face a lot of discrimination. While they may even appear more French than we appear uh, English, uh, in many cases, they don't actually feel very French a lot of the time because of uh, the way things are down there. Alhamdulillah. You know, it's not all good. I mean, we're still in the world, so the world is full of difficulties. You can never be perfect in any place in the world, right? It's the dunya, and the dunya can only be so good. 
It's paradise, that's the absolutely beautiful and 100% place of bliss. Insha'Allah we wait for that and may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala transport us to that and give us worthy actions in this world. So now, what I want to uh, mention is that everybody plays a part and you guys are going to play a part. Insha'Allah, we all play a part and that's what we want to do. We want to play a part for the future. We're not here just to live a life. As they say, you only live once. You actually do only live once in this world. But then eventually there's the hereafter. And that is the life of eternity and that is the reflection of this life. We produce in this world for the hereafter. We sow in this world for the hereafter. So in any community, uh, especially we're talking about minority communities. So Muslims are a minority in the UK. For any place where a minority exists, anywhere in the world, there are going to be, at least for us, there's going to be four really, really important categories of people that we need for, forget survival, but for advancement. For advancement to make our mark, to be productive, to do something, and to obviously establish our rights. You need four categories of people. I would say that the first category, and this is not necessarily in any kind of ascending or descending order, the first category of people are the wealthy. We need people with money. For anything to survive nowadays, you need money to make it work. You need money to make it work. In fact, the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that the time will come when the thing that will be of benefit will be dinar and dirham, which basically means money. So you need money to fund things, to get things off the ground, to develop things, to pay for people and so on. That's something we don't need to encourage anybody because everybody wants money. We're living, if we can categorize the various different challenges that the Muslim community will face and has faced and what the Prophet ﷺ has mentioned, this I would say to, such a, uh, to some degree is what we call the fitna to sarra, a state of fitna to sarra. What that means is that this is the challenge of prosperity. We're living at a time when money is easy to come by. Not necessarily for everybody, but for a lot of people. If you just compare yourselves to your grandfather and to your father and what they had to do to make a few bucks to make to, to, to just survive they say this generation is not just surviving they're using their money for literally for as disposable income for enjoyment whereas your grandfather most for, for the most part and your fathers right did not have that kind of disposable income unless they were you know a very small percentage of extremely wealthy people so things have changed hugely money is much more easier to come by so i don't need to encourage that there's going to be people in the muslim community who will have money and that they're very much needed they're very much needed because you can't really uh, do much without having you know to build a masjid you need money to advance a masjid institute um, anything you need, you need money. That's the first category of people. I only have a short amount of time, so I'm going to say this very briefly. Second category of people is probably where you guys come in. Second category of people are those. Uh, well, actually, I'll put you in the third category. The second category are those people who are in. Um, we live in a democracy, as a minority. In a democracy, nobody is going to get their way. Minorities, etc., unless they campaign, unless they make noise unless they do something unless they work hard otherwise nobody cares because it's all about a voting system <clears throat> it's the struggle of the fittest that's generally what happens in most democracies so remember this <clears throat> if you're into politics 
understand this very carefully. What we need is, we, in politics, we either need people in the driving seat, or next, a passenger, or at least a backseat driver. If you're none of those, then your rights, our rights, are never going to be fulfilled. In politics, in a minority Muslim community, you either need to be in the driving seat, or you need to be next to the driver, somehow or the other, you go and get there somehow, make buddies or whatever, or you're in the back, you're in the backseat campaigning like a backseat driver, hey, you're doing this right, turn right here, turn left here, and so on. You know the relationship between a backseat driver, when you're learning how to drive and your mom's sitting in the back and like telling you, go, go left and go right. So basically, in politics, you need to be somewhere. Otherwise, you cannot survive because they're not going to make laws for you. We can't complain anymore that they don't think about Muslims. If you're not in the driving seat, that's what happens in democracies. Dictatorships are something else, right? But at least in a democracy, you have to be somewhere for your voice to be heard and for your rights to be taken into consideration, right? Number three, the third category of people are people with different skill sets in all different industries, especially the very important ones, especially policy-making institutes, think tanks, organizations, major companies, uh, people who produce things, people who design things. We need to be everywhere because uh, Muslim community needs it. If we need experts in different fields, yes, we can use non-Muslims, but it's very nice to have somebody who has sympathy, who uh, has the same cause. So you need to be the best in your fields. And you need to do it for a reason, for an ulterior motive, for a higher motive, not just for selfishly buying the greatest car or the greatest home or, uh, or because it's my father's dream or my mom's dream. It's really for a bigger motive. All of those things will get fulfilled. You'll get your nice cars and your nice houses, inshallah, but you'll have a greater motive. Muslims need professionals in every community. So be the best in what you do. And number four, the most important category of people that you need in any community, right? Which, who will actually guide the first three and will balance them out and will shine the light for them are the scholars, are the scholars and the ulama. We, you cannot sustain a Muslim community without the ulama. You cannot advance a Muslim community spiritually without ulama. It just doesn't work because when there's no ulama, everybody becomes an alim. I've just come from two countries in which, uh, where Muslims have been since the 1800s. They were brought there as indentured laborers. They had absolutely no scholars among them. No scholar was brought along with them. These were just simple people that were brought from different parts of India, UP and other places. They were put there to work. It's amazing, it's absolutely amazing that they even survived in terms of their faith. <clears throat> it was both Hindus and Muslims brought from India, they survived. They maintained their faith, but just about. There are other countries where people were brought from other countries, they lost their faith in the same period of time because they had no scholars there. There was not a single hijab-wearing woman in the whole of that, those two countries until about the 1970-something, 80s, nearly 70 years, right? They started marrying between India in, in, uh, Hindus and Muslims. The husband would be Hindu, the wife would be Muslim, or the other way around, but they'd maintain their faiths. Really interesting, right? Alhamdulillah, at least they maintained their faith. The first scholars came in the 1980s, 
And then things started changing. And now they have 80 scholars in that country. I made uh, a little, uh, I, I, I uh, made, did a little maths, and essentially they have one scholar per 1800 Muslims. And not every scholar is active, so then it becomes. Whereas in England, and if you look at London, I said in London we've got a million Muslims, but we've got over a thousand scholars, male and female graduates. If you go just to Clapton, you've probably got a thousand Hafiz of the Quran. Alhamdulillah. Right? So, what scholars would do is that they would be able to guide. And I've actually lived in places where they never had an Imam or a local scholar. Everybody becomes a Mufti. And then there's just a massive debate. Can you imagine a, com a community or a country without rulers? Proper libertarian societies where there's no ruler. Everybody does what they want. What kind of chaos that would create? I mean, we've got chaos even with rulers. I mean, imagine without chaos. Imagine without rulers. That's the same thing spiritually that will happen to a community without Muslim leaders and scholars. There'd be religious chaos. And there is in many countries where there's no Muslim, where, there, where there's, not, there's not sufficient Muslim scholarship. Now, what's going on with these four is that, alhamdulillah, now after 60 to 70 years, there's a marriage that's taking place between the first category and the last category. So you've got many wealthy people with money. They're joining up with scholars. And mashallah, now they're starting organizations, institutions, not just masjids, but beyond masjids now for the maintenance of the Muslim community in the future. To set things so that our children and our grandchildren inshallah benefit. If we don't think about that, then we get very lost. We're not thinking about ourselves anymore. I'm not thinking about myself anymore. I need to think about my great-grandchildren. I need to think about progeny now. Until the day of judgment. It's not too far to think. Right? If I start thinking that far, my immediate children will be included anyway. Right? But you need to really be prudent and have great foresight into what we want. And everybody here can play a part. Insha'Allah, if you do say that LSE is a great university as it is, Insha'Allah, then we want to see where you'll be in 10 and 15 and 20 years, and that's going to be the test, Insha'Allah. How productive are you going to be? Do you have that intention right now? You may have come here because your parents really wanted you here. You may have come here because you were very ambitious and you got into this university, you really liked a certain course, or you really liked university, or because your friends came here, whatever the case, it doesn't matter. What really matters now is why are you studying, what's your motivation, what's your goal, and where do you want to get to, what do you want to achieve. Remember, the world will come for you. Will, you'll receive the world, you'll get what you want. We're not saying drop your, you know, drop your career, drop your direction. It's just heighten the motivation. What else do you want to achieve? Why not achieve multiple things at the same time? So... The only way to do that is you must remember at the core of it, you are a believer in Allah. You've been chosen either by birth or by conversion or reversion or whatever you want to call it. Somehow you have that faith. A lot of people go through a lot of trouble to get to the faith. We have it, alhamdulillah. However we have it, we want to value that and we want to be able to maintain that because then we have reward. Because at the end of the day, this world is going to finish and you know, we're going to enjoy this world but I said the world can only be enjoyed only to a certain degree Allah has made a very special abode for full pleasure and for full blessing that's paradise unfortunately there's also a hellfire that we have to worry about right that we have to always keep in mind so now what's important is that we become productive individuals that means if you carry your faith in your vocation 
then things can change. People just don't know how to... Because Christianity, which was the dominant religion in Europe, was pushed out of every public place. Christianity pervaded every aspect of life before. But in the last hundred years or so, they've pushed out Christianity and thus any faith from schools, from the media, from the workplace, from the public sphere. Leave your faith at the door and come inside. That's the idea. Muslims don't feel happy about that. So we try to take our faith everywhere. Alhamdulillah. We need to... Nobody's going to tell us what... Nobody's going to cater for us. For example, I attended a gathering for bikers a few weeks ago. It was a big group of brothers on bikes. The, they, they come together. There's about 250 bikers coming together. So... Um, I do a bit of biking myself and I was there to give a little talk. So what we have to understand is that you see everybody in biking clothes. Some biking clothes, where they are, how it is and where it stops, are not very conducive for the way Muslims dress, Muslim dress code. But the reason for that is that it's not any discrimination, it's just that nobody had Muslims in mind when they, had, when they were designing the biking, uh, biking gear. If you don't get in there, this is just a simple example, if you don't get in there and be a contributor nobody's going to design biking gear for a Muslim likewise with women in hijab and how they are in certain fields it's much more easier to just conform and just give up and say we're just going to follow the mainstream custom but then where's your identity what have you done for yourself you've just taken up somebody else's identity and sometimes it's fine and sometimes it goes against your faith one needs to be very careful about that the medical doctors need to think about this People in finance need to think about this. Finance has already gone through many, many issues, 2007, 2008. They, were, they had a little dabble with the whole Muslim economics and so on. There's an appetite for it, right? There's a number of fields that we need to think about. I'll give you an example of a friend of mine who um, was, when the phones came out, when mobile phones came out, there was a superconductor technology, which was very important at the time in California. He was... One of the brothers in our local masjid used to work there. He, he was a very, very uh, talented individual at his workplace, at one of the top companies there. And he would uh, just avoid going to the annual general meetings. So they knew why, because they served wine in those meetings. So he said, I can't attend because of that. I'm there for you to do everything else, but I just can't attend the meetings. So then what happens is that one year, his, uh, his boss calls him and uh, he says, you're going to attend the meeting, you know, it's in two weeks. He said, no, you know what my issue is. He said, no, don't worry, we've changed our policy. There's no longer going to be any wine. That is gonna, there's no longer going to be any alcohol served in our meetings. They did that for one employee because he was useful. He was productive. He was somebody that, you know, they valued. And if you're not a person who is going to produce value and provide value while maintaining their principles, people are hungry today. Right? People are very hungry today. They're looking for what you have, which is spirituality. You may not value it too much, but you have a spirituality. You have an ethic. You have family. Right? You have, we're supposed to, as Muslims, we're supposed to have uh, kinship and importance of family. We're supposed to look after one another. We're, we still have it. We may have given up on a lot of this or become weak, but we actually still have that. And there's a lot of people out there who don't have that. Then you have that connection with Allah. Right? That you have that connection so that you can 
think about praying at least even Friday. But if you only even pray Friday prayers, you've still got a connection. Yeah, you could do with, we can do with a lot more connection. But that's something people don't have. They're just purely into the decadence of this world, just enjoying themselves because they don't think there's anything to come. We at least have that thought. There's a scholar recently, a thinker, who actually said that money is such a powerful goal today, such a powerful objective, that if it wasn't for many Muslims having Allah uh, as, uh, the, uh, as the deity to follow and ha- having faith, we would have been probably followers of money as well today, like just fully. Because unfortunately, even with faith, money seems to be the biggest thing in people's minds. It is the biggest thing in people's minds. If it wasn't for our faith that's protecting us from giving ourselves up fully to just the wealth, right, and economics, uh, you know, to a certain degree, um, we, you know, alhamdulillah, Allah, we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for having given us faith, but we need to maintain that. You will finish up here uh, from the environment that you'll get used to, right, among the Muslim brothers and sisters. And then after that, you'll have to go into the cold world to survive on your own. You'll be getting married if you're not already married. You'll be settling down. There'll be a number of responsibilities. How are you going to deal with all of that? Sometimes a lot of people come to university because they just want to get away from home and uh, not have the rigors of the home and the strictness of home and they just want to enjoy themselves. But eventually we, we have to essentially get serious. And that's when we need to start planning from now if we haven't already as to where we want to go with this life and do we want to be acceptable people. So whatever you're studying, try to be somebody that's going to be really productive in that regard and that has higher motives in that regard. A friend of mine, um, we met with one of the heads of... Uh, so in America, there's an organization that fights for Muslim rights. It's called CARE, Council of American Islamic Relation, like MEND here, right? So the head of one of the chapters is a Syrian or Lebanese guy. And I knew him, but I didn't know his background. So uh, a local brother in our, in our masjid, he said that I met this guy like 15, 20 years ago. We were at Disneyland. Right in, in Los Angeles. We were at Disneyland and we came out of something and we saw this brother and said, like, okay, you know, we need to pray. It's Asr time or something. So let's find a corner to pray in. He said, no, 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 we need to pray down there in that park. Right? He had such boldness from there. That's why he then eventually becomes head of that organization, right? Of the chapter of that organization. You have to have a zeal. You can't just be a blind follower. <laughs> we need to really have some ideas of our own and our principles are the most important. So we need to get somewhere with them. There's so many examples of this. There's so many examples of this that where you have principles, people respect principles. The world is in chaos right now in terms of emotional and psychological and in terms of belief and spiritual. There's a massive chaos. There's a massive, subhanAllah, vacuum out there. People just don't understand where, what they're looking for in this world. Consumerism, has it failed? Capitalism, is it failing? You know, what, what are we living in? Modernism, postmodernism, post-postmodernism, where are we? It is so confusing. People don't know. The whole thing is so fluid. What's going on? What's, well, you know, what's not happening? Where we should go? What we should say? They make certain policies, then they change the policies. Is this good for adults? Is it good for children? Yes, it is. No, it's not. SubhanAllah, there's a massive chaos. But when you have principles and you can abide by them and people see the benefit, you'll see the difference. I had another friend 
who worked in an accounting software firm. And he had a mortgage on his house, which he'd taken some time back, five, six hundred thousand dollars, and he paid some off, and he needed another three hundred, like half left, two hundred to three hundred thousand he needed uh, to pay it off or something. It was Ramadan time, and he was feeling extremely guilty that I've gotten myself into this, right? And I want to get out of this. Ajib. He came up with this idea. It's a crazy idea, but only radical people can do this kind of thing. He sent an email to his boss. Right? He sent an email to his boss, who's a non-Muslim. And he said that, is it possible that you can give me... You know I've been with you guys for su such a long time, trustworthy employee, etc. Is it possible that you can give me the next 12 months salary up front? And then I'll work for free for the next 12 months. I'm contracted to work for you for the next 12 months. But I want you to give me my year's salary in advance so I can pay off my debt. Anybody going to accept that, you think? Right. So he, he just did it. He's a very bold guy. He's a very bold guy. He goes into work the next morning. I don't know what he was expecting, what face he was going to show there. right? But he walks into work. The, the boss is standing by the door. And he says to him, I got your email. Go and see human resources. He goes into that, I think that's the department he said. He goes in there and they said, look, this is what we have, this is the proposal we have for you. What do you think the proposal is? Oh, maybe we can give you two months extra? Maybe six months extra? No, you know what they said? They said that we will give you your year salary in advance, no problem. But then what are you going to have to survive on? Because if you're going to pay your, your loan with that, what are you going to survive on for the next 12 months? We're also going to give you half of next year's salary of every month in each of these months of this year. So you're going to give you maybe 50, 60, 100,000 for this year, for your, this year's salary. We're also going to give you in advance half of your next year's salary each month in each of the months of this year. So that you can at least survive for the next, 12, next 24 months. Like, absolutely shocking. I'm not saying that's going to happen for you as well if you try it. But, you know, inshallah... I have, you know, absolute uh, experience and conviction that something will happen when you make an effort and you ask Allah. Things happen beyond. I mean, I can, I don't have time. I have to go to another talk right now. But I have story after story of the manifestation of God's blessings for people who are God conscious and who want to do the best. Allah says in the Quran, Whoever fears Allah, whoever has this God consciousness, I think that's the better translation. Whoever has this God consciousness, Allah will provide for them where, from where they would never have imagined. Even this was a long shot to say one whole year's salary, they gave him more than that. When Allah wants to give you, He'll give you, you just need to show that effort first. Right? It'll be easy if He could show us first and then we make the effort when we know. But no, He likes to see the effort first. So I leave you with that. Be productive people. We are rooting for you. I can't do what you do. I have a different, you know, category. Uh, that I'm in a different category. But you can also join that category. Learn something of your deen as you go along. There's lots of short courses you can do. That's the only way you'll get consciousness of your religion and your motivation. Without that, if you're just studying economics, you're not going to get anything else. On the side, you need to do that. Alhamdulillah, in the madrasa, the institute I teach in, Imam Zakari Academy on, in... Uh, it's based in East Ham now, at the Masjid Tawheed. We have so many students who are 
uh, have done their PhD or were doing their PhD or are doing their PhD at Imperial College, UCL or whatever, right? I don't know if any students from this university there, but we've got some of the top students who are also doing the Alim course at the same time, right? Just recently, there's a guy I know, he graduated, he's a Hafiz of the Quran. He's, he just finished his Alim course. And he's also got a master's in physics from UCL, all right? This is absolutely possible now. We're not in places where there's a dearth of information. We've got so much going on in this country and in this beautiful city. Take benefit from it. Both for alims and, you know, both for men and women, there's lots going on. There's about 15 alim and alima classes, many of them in the evening for students. This guy that I know, he used to go to university in the morning. He used to go for the alim course in the evening and he used to drive the underground train in the weekend to basically make his money. And that's how he spent several years. But alhamdulillah, he's got it all now. You need to also get it all. Inshallah, may Allah give us it all and more. And may Allah make us productive and accept us for the service of his deen. And that is what our investment will pay off in this world. And inshallah, in the hereafter, inshallah, may Allah accept. Jazakallah khair. Allah bless you all. And keep us in your du'as as well. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Uh, the point of a lecture is to encourage people to act, to get further, an inspiration an encouragement, persuasion. The next step is to actually start learning seriously, to read books, to take on a subject of Islam and to understand all the subjects of Islam, at least at their basic level, so that we can become more aware of what our deen wants from us. Uh, and that's why we started uh, Rayyan courses, so that uh, you can actually take organized lectures uh, on demand whenever you have free time, especially, for example, the Islamic Essentials uh, course that we have on there, the Islamic Essentials Certificate, which you take 20 short modules and at the end of that, inshallah, you will have gotten the, the basics of uh, most of the most important topics in Islam and you'll feel a lot more confident. You don't have to leave lectures behind, you can continue to, leave, uh, you know, to listen to lectures, but you need to have this more sustained study as well. Jazakallah khair and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.